course, like every other teenage kid, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. When I was 16 years old, I took off and drove across the country to Wyoming, went into the Wind River Range and discovered mountains. In 1973, Yvonne Chouinard founded Patagonia. I never wanted to be a businessman. All I wanted to do was do my craft and climb mountains. So then I had to figure out a way to where I was going to be a businessman, but I was going to do it completely on my own terms. Build the best product, cause no unnecessary harm, inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. Join us at Patagonia.com. You're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries, a production of Duct Tape Thin Beer, with additional support from RAI, Fireside Provisions, Kuat Racks, and New Belgium Brewing. Okay, right now, I am pretty wrapped up in family life. Um, I'm not sure if you heard. I don't know why you would have, but uh, Becca, my incredible wife and the director of the diaries, has had our second son, Wiley. After all those years of living on the road, traveling nonstop, I have to say, I'm kind of digging hanging around home a little bit more. I don't know totally why, but that's just maybe the stage I'm at. Um, That said, we've already done a few short road trips with our two-month-old because, well, I'm still not that good at hanging around the house. I love road trips. They're fun. They're kind of an American rite of passage. I dig the long hours of thinking behind the wheel. So a few months ago, when a guy named Phil reached out to us with a pitch about a twist on the classic American adventure, we were all ears. Phil creates a rad travel podcast called Van Sounds, and he had this idea. So, Phil. Yeah. Welcome to the Diaries. Thanks for having me. Tell me, yeah, Tell break it down. What are the rules to the game you came up with? All right, so the idea was that um, we would wake up every morning and roll a die, and then depending on what it landed on, we would drive in a certain direction uh, for the rest of the day. Um, So the system was if we rolled a 1, we would drive north, a 2 was east, 3 south, 4 west, uh, 5 explore locally or stay put, and then finally 6 was cross the nearest state border. Um, and then the one, we only had one rule, and that was no backtracking. So if we rolled a number that sent us back from where we came from, we would re-roll. And um, I guess, like, why apply something? Like, why not just take a road trip with your friend, you know? Why apply something like that to this? Yeah, in total, I think, I mean, basically the idea was that we wanted to take, you know, this sort of uncontrolled serendipity of a long road trip and just apply it to a week um, because we were only we were only planning on being gone like seven to ten days. So the idea being maybe if something else dictated the route entirely, we could completely sit back and let the trip kind of you know work its way into our heads without having to go out and search for a really long time. So let's do a super quick recap. Here are the rules again. One is head north. Two is east. 3 south, 4 west, 5 stay put and hang for another day, and 6 is cross the nearest state border. The only rule is that you cannot backtrack. Today we present a story about two friends, lots of empty road, classic American road trip with a twist, so roll the dice. 
You never know where you'll find an epiphany. I'm Fitzgerald Hall, and you're listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. On the first day, we symbolically rolled the die on the hood of the car. So, like, right here. That doesn't count as rolling the dice. <laughs> you can't just set it down. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think this was going to happen like that. Okay. So can you say what, what you rolled? I rolled a three. So we're going south. Yeah, let's do it. I played the part. You played the game. Now all my friends. So Brian, where are we right now? We are just getting into Minden, Minden Gardnerville area, our hometown. Which is south of Reno. Yes. Brian now lives in Boise, Idaho. I actually met you in Little League. We played on the same Little League team together. The Mets. The Mets, yeah. So remember how you said everything was the same? (laughs) It's not the same at all. Everything is really weird. And by everything, I just mean that one building. Not yeah, there's a new there's a new building at the high school. Do you ever get upset at things you don't know why you're upset about it? <laughs> uh, sure. Like broadly, sure. It just made me upset. And I have no idea why. It does not ever. It's never gonna affect me. Yeah. I don't know why. It just makes me upset. We're gonna. You probably haven't seen this either. There's a new casino over here. Okay. What? Oh man. at Mono Lake. Mono Lake is an alkali lake on the edge of the desert just down the mountain from Yosemite. Mark Twain called Mono Lake the Dead Sea of California. This sleeping jewel is far from dead. And then you can kind of see like these weird rock outcroppings coming out of the lake. Oh yeah, yeah, actually I know about those. Those are, it's it's called tufa, not tofu, tufa. Can't eat it. It's bad for you. It kind of looks like tofu, though. It actually does. It uh, the the uh, make pumice out of that. Hummus out of tofu. Pumice. Pumice out of tufa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly that. We drove about an hour on a series of dirt roads into national forests. I'm setting up my tent for the first time ever, and it's working out grand. So where are we right now? We are at Bald Mountain, right outside of Mammoth Lakes. We decided to stick it here for the night. And um, yeah, how, how did day one go? It was really nice. It was actually really relaxing. It's good like ease into the, the, the week-long road trip.
All right, so it is the morning of day two. Right outside of Mammoth Lakes. And we're about to roll the dice. Is it six? Cross the nearest state border. So we're going to Nevada. Day one was watched by Mono, an eyeball of a lake whose volcanic pupil held its stare until the morning of day two. It watched as we left for Route 6 east, which we caught in Benton, a sleepy town in the shadow of Boundary Peak. We crossed the state boundary and peaked into Nevada over a rolling crest, Route 6 a skewer through the valley's tongue, and we spoke its language until it spit us out in the extraterrestrial highway, specifically at the Little Alien, a UFO sighting Mecca near Area 51, which you may have seen as a smoky little bar in the X-Files. Hi, I'm Pam. I'm a waitress and cook at the Little Lady Inn in Rachel, Nevada. Population, 54. I love it here. I wouldn't live anywhere else. I mean, you can do pretty much anything you want. Yeah, just nobody to tell you what to do? Well, usually not. And so do you, do you believe, personally? Oh, yeah. I believe. Do they look like us? I don't know. Do they look like the family on the wall back there? Reptilian or whatever? I don't know. But I believe there's something more than what we have on just this level, you know, of Earth. So, yeah. No, I believe that there's something out there. And like I said, are they walking around looking all crazy and everything else? Yeah, probably so. You got married like right out of high school, right? Yeah, um, in my sophomore year, I met a girl, and um, right out of high school, I I moved in with her and I proposed to her shortly after, and then a couple years later, we actually got married. So yeah. And um, what happened? Oh, uh, we uh, we were together for about ten years, and then. Um, I, I moved out and we got a divorce. That was actually the next time I spent a lot of time with you was during my divorce because I moved onto your couch, you and uh, my good friend Christopher's couch. And then after that I couldn't even, I didn't even stomach being around anybody. So I moved into a motel, a weekly motel in Carson, downtown Carson City. and. I couldn't even stomach staying in there, so I slept in my truck. I had met some people in Boise through mutual friends, through you, through um, a couple other very good friends, and um, I just went for it. I needed something new. Highways, A Journey into America, by William Leastheat Moon. In Tonopah, Nevada, I found the trip manifesto, a crusty old copy of the legendary travel story, Blue Highways. The story of a guy who, in 1978, breaks up with his wife, loses his job, and buys a van. Then, he circles America on the back roads, looking for, well, 
something. We started the trip without much of a purpose. We wanted to be pushed around, wanted to find something we didn't know we were looking for. We wanted to take some small chance and see where we landed and see which side was facing up. But on night two, there wasn't much thinking of that. We stopped in Caliente, Nevada, bought a six pack and some chips for dinner and left town at sunset, looking for a place to sleep. See how light it is? Oh yeah. It looks like the sun. <laughs> it's full moon. Full moon, super bright. After we got our camp set up, we started walking the Cathedral Gorge, which is uh, like a clay, mud, rock dreamscape. <laughs> it really is like when you say Cathedral Gorge, it really is, it's like a church. You can walk up into these giant, giant pillars of just clay and rock. It surrounds you in every direction you look up and there's the sky. And how did it feel being back inside, way back in one of the, the little narrow slots? Um, almost spiritual. Like you feel, you feel part of it. And nothing in there made me ever feel small. It made me feel like I was a part of something. I fell asleep feeling whole, the moon shining down into the clay spires and the silence. So we are about to roll on day three. We rolled four. Since we came from the east on day two, and four means drive west, this violated our only rule, no backtracking, which constituted a re-roll. Hey, Brian, what did we roll? We rolled a one. That means we're going north. It was a quiet, overcast day, and I could feel the heat radiating from the illustrated pavement on the cover of Blue Highways in the center console. When William Lee's heat moon took the same road north in his one-ton van, he carried Walt Whitman's leaves of grass, applying Whitman's words to a desert he never saw. They were 120 years apart. Heat moon was only 35 years from our trip, and knew the exact pavement I was applying his words to. We stopped at the Hotel Nevada in Ely, and the desert silence rode shotgun as we drove north through Wells and eventually across the border in Jackpot, Nevada. It was a warm night, and we watched the desert turn from Nevada brown to Idaho gray. I pulled onto a small dirt service road and slowly pushed through a herd of open-range cattle. We found a clearing by a reservoir, and I parked it there for the night. I laid on the roof of the truck and listened to the frogs and to the stars. The birds, the way you run, the thugs, the guns, 
dying song. It's an old road cliche that the traveler doesn't search for places, but for moments. That morning in Cathedral Gorge, I had found both, and now I wasn't quite sure what to look for next. This is the start of day four. We can't roll south. Let's, let's do it. North it is. Montana. Let's go to Montana. We passed Hemingway's grave in Ketchum, covered in pennies, and parked for a hike. I had been here before. I had a hard time escaping that feeling. So would you mind introducing yourself and saying where we are? Uh, yeah, the band or me? Uh, both. <laughs> this is Soul City Brass Band. This is Missoula, Montana, the best place in the world. Uh, we're cruising down the street playing New Orleans brass band music. We just walked in right off the street, right into the bar, and, and played a bunch of tunes, and we were received quite well, I thought. I asked if he had ever rolled the dice. We just took a huge chance in there. Uh, playing a bunch of improv, improvised music, you know? It's, it's risky. You put yourself out there, but it's beautiful and it's, it's freedom. It's America, man. We bar hopped the rest of the night and suddenly found our insulation stripped away. It had been just the two of us talking for four days now, and I found myself trying to rationalize the trip as I explained it to strangers. Reno, Nevada. Yeah, we're rolling dice, you know, literally and like figuratively. Yeah, we've seen some cool stuff. I was playing Stranger, passing through. A few bars in, Brian asked me why I liked that, and I didn't have an answer. Vanity, maybe? Just passing through is an interesting answer, and damn, is that it? Perpetually passing through just to tell people I'm passing through? But the nice thing about playing Stranger is that you get the best advice. Person after person told me, you should roll north, Glacier is great this time of year, or if you roll east, you have to check out Butte, everything looks big there. And as they listed the places, I realized I hadn't been to any of them. I was on the edge of a new frontier. Hell, maybe if we rolled east, I could finally check off my final state, North Dakota. I went to bed drunk, nervous, but looking wildly over the edge. I woke up early and went downstairs. We had stayed at a friend's house that night. Brian waited a little while and then sprung. He said he wanted to go home. He felt like he got what he needed and said he could find a bus back to Boise. I told him that I'd drive him back, and he apologized over and over again. Apparently, we had seen the same edge the night before, and what I took as an invitation to jump 
he took as a pleasant nudge to turn around. I respected him telling me that, and we left a note for our friend Molly and started the long, quiet drive down to Boise. So, um, would you mind saying where we are right now? We are on my front porch in Boise, Idaho. How do you feel the the five days of rolling the dice went for you? Um, it was a good lesson, and uh, actually it was more of like a confirmation. I have this idea in my head that I've been playing with that uh, um, the present moment is way more important than contemplating about the future, um, trying to decipher the past, and uh, rolling the dice was a good like confirmation that just being in the moment is what it's supposed to be like, because we took gambles every day, and I, those nights, I, I, I never slept any better. It was good not knowing where we were going to end up, and actually, really, the gut feeling of me wanting to go is I did have a lot of fun rolling the dice but um, the nature of rolling the dice actually kind of turned it into a like a game and I was actually it, it started off as kind of like a journey and then it turned into a game and though I loved the game games uh, sometimes I don't want to play the game mm-hmm. and that that's partly why I came back too it's a it just makes you appreciate the journey a little bit more. The end game isn't really important because you're always going to end up next to the same person, and that's that's yourself. You always got to sleep with yourself. What what did you learn about yourself? Appreciate what you have right in front of you, because that's uh, that's all you really have. It's what's right in front of you. You can try to decipher it all you want, but as long as you're in that moment and you're standing and totally present in the space that you're in, then that that's living. That's what it's about. But no, I don't know. I don't want to say that. Edit that part out. Have a safe trip, and I hope you have as much fun as I did. And thank you for everything. All right. Brian's buddy is in the band Built to Spill, and he got us onto the guest list for a show they were playing in Boise. It felt like a road trip movie, in a sweaty bar watching the hometown heroes play a set to old friends, and the dice in my pocket pulling somewhere else, back away from the edge. I rolled a three. The route west out of Boise would either bring me a bit north towards Ontario, Oregon, or a lot south toward Lakeview, Oregon. I picked south and left town. Just me and the truck. Wait, how rude. 
Five days in, and I haven't introduced you. This is my truck, a 1995 Toyota T100 Red with a small back seat and a leaky silver camper shell that keeps an old twin mattress somewhere near dry. And on our quiet drive into Boise the day before, the odometer rolled over to 300,000 miles. 300,000. My bid is getting way too long. I do it just to pass the now, if you haven't been to Southeast Oregon, it's not the green coastal pasture a lot of people might expect from the state. Southeast Oregon is a wheat cracker dipped in nothing. It's a dry brown extension of the high desert and part of the Great Basin where rivers don't flow to the ocean, but instead flow inland and disappear. Early in the day, I turned off the thin gray highway and took a dirt road across the desert. A sign at the beginning said there was a ranch in 20 miles and a town I never heard of in 50. Going on that alone, I headed west, driving fast enough to levitate above the washboard road. I need something to eat, the devil you don't talk loud. Every oven knows The road stretched ahead of me across the high desert, and I felt more alone than I expected. There wasn't even an FM signal on the radio. My mind wandered and seemed to keep running back into Brian's last words. Am I just playing a game? I followed a sign about a lake and ended up in a free campground at the top of a hill in the thick woods, and I read the Oregon chapters of Blue Highways, and I wrote a song about it on the travel banjo. And I watched the fish jump out of the water in the twilight, and I fell asleep to more than just a mosquito buzzing around my head. And I swung my hand around the bed of the truck, trying to squish anything that was. There it is, four. West. But before I rolled, I had rigged the dice. I wanted to end the trip at the ocean, and I used the rules against themselves. Since I was at a dead end on the top of a hill, I decided that anything but a five constituted a reroll. This was the end of the dice's reign. Might be why they cooperated. I crossed Interstate 5 and dove into the coastal range of Northern California. Following a small snaking line on my atlas, I split from the highway and headed high into the woods. I followed what I thought was a shortcut for about three hours. It wasn't. I ended up lost on a network of steep, treacherous dirt roads, calculating the distance from the highway behind me in relation to the amount of food I had in the truck. It came out to about 20 miles per sardine can. But eventually I hit pavement, headed south, and found myself about a mile and a half from where I started the shortcut. I had driven in a circle. I was running out of daylight, so I drove fast. My thoughts moved fast, too. I knew the ocean would provide an ending for me, but tried to figure out what that could sound like on the radio. 
It had been a couple of days since I interviewed a stranger, or a friend for that matter, and it had been a week since Brian and I set off south towards Mono Lake with such big appetites. Not knowing where we'd end up, expecting something big. I played the montage back for myself while I weaved the curves by the river. The trip never ends dramatic like it does in the movies. The excitement swells, and then you have to drive home, usually. You still have to get gas, and you still fill it up even when you're close because things just don't stop when you're done. I hit the 101 and I watched as the sun took its last breath and slipped away, leaning back toward Japan. I parked and walked to the water, but I still needed to find a place to sleep, so I postponed my ritual for the morning. It can be surprisingly hard to find a good overnight parking spot on this stretch of the 101, so I gave up and parked in the harsh light of a rest stop and ate while the bottom side of a Crosby, Stills, and Nash cassette wavered in the stereo. At the end of Blue Highways, a gas station worker asks William Least Heatmoon where he's coming from. Where I've been, he says, to which the attendant answers, where else? The earliest travel journal I have is from when I was seven. On the last page, a family friend wrote, a real journey is ending up where you started, but in a different place. Somebody recently reminded me of this quote when they told me about the hobo's journey. It's a circle where the main character ends up in the same spot, but as a different person. For the first half, there is a thirst for new, untapped waters. And when he gets to the water, home looks new and untapped too. So the traveler fights to return. And when he gets home, it feels different. He has changed. When I was 19, I hitchhiked from Reno to Vermont. It was my first big solo trip, and I expected to bring something home with me. Some chunk of wisdom, some lesson, and 19-year-old me was pissed off and confused when I came home empty-handed, facing the same problems I had before. Going into the dice trip, I thought it might be a matter of control. Maybe if I let something else dictate the route, I'd be forced into losing myself. Forced into accidental enlightenment. I thought I was just missing the exit. In retrospect, what I got from that first trip was the knowledge that I'd always be chasing a fleeting moment. And then I'd catch it for a minute or an hour or a few days, and then I'd lose it and keep chasing. Just use your imagination. A huge thanks to Phil Corbett for reaching out to us and for all the work he put in to adapt this episode for The Diaries. The story originally aired as a longer six-part series on Phil's podcast, Van Sounds. Go to vansounds.org to listen to the full-length version of the Dice story, as well as many others. The Freight Train episode is one of my favorites. Music today from the Coast West Unrest. It Klept Insan, Phil Corbett, Portour, South North, Gabriel Graham, A Paper Cut Band, Arthur Howells, and Andrew Martin. You can find all the songs on our website, dirtbackdiaries.com, with links to the artists. Thanks to everyone who has pledged to support the Diaries. You all truly keep us going, 
If you'd like to donate, go to our website and click the pledge button in the upper right-hand corner. Support for the diaries comes from Patagonia. For decades, First Nations, conservationists, backcountry skiers, and snowboarders have fought a proposed large-scale ski resort deep in the Purcell Mountains of British Columbia. Visit Patagonia.com to watch Jumbo Wild, the new film by Sweetgrass Productions, and find out how you can help keep Jumbo wild for good. A big thanks to REI, who signed on this year to support the show. To celebrate the centennial of the National Park Service, REI has built a crowdsourced mobile guide to the national parks. Find out more at REI.com or download the app to your mobile device. And thanks to our newest sponsor, Fireside Provisions. Visit firesideprovisions.com and order gourmet meals for your next ski trip, like pan-seared pork chops and caramelized apples. All the ingredients you need to make a memorable feast delivered straight to your cabin door. Additional support comes from New Belgium Brewing. Sometimes it's a side trip that makes the journey. Take a break from your journey with Side Trip, New Belgium seasonal Belgian-style pale ale. Visit newbelgium.com to locate a tap or a bottle near you. And also from the one, the only, Kuat Racks, makers of a better, innovative hitch rack, roof racks, and accessories for cyclists and adventures. See their full lineup at kuatracks.com. This episode of Diaries was produced by Phil Corbett, Jen Altschul, and me, Fitzcall. Thanks for tuning in. Your chloroform shoes and your paper bag mad. Hit me once and you're begging for fleas. Hit me two times, baby's got a disease.